Welcome to Fred's Front Porch. Shockingly enough, I'm Fred, and this is my metaphorical front porch. You're invited to stop by, sit a spell, and hear some ideas you may already like, or you may never have considered before, or that you really hate. I'm sure you have cleaning to complete, or a drive to make many miles. five and a half minutes long, but it's a brief example of what the studio can do. If you like what you hear tonight, and you can recognize the difference, you should head over to studiostarmuser.org to support what helped make this into the show you have grown to love over the last several months. My best work is a direct result of Studio Stargate. And, of course, after you hear this, you may find yourself thinking, Fred read that as well as he could, but wouldn't it sound a black corner with a full can? Why, yes. Yes, it would. That cast is available only through Studio Stargazer. That will cost us some money. Good actors don't come cheap, and full theatrical production requires lots of very expensive hours. Perhaps you'll go to studiostargazer.org and help us show. And now, a midsummer's night. Summer's Nightmare. Who are the people in your neighborhood? Asked Bob, the man from Sesame Street. I laid on my stomach on the floor and smiled dumbly up at this kind, gentle, and utterly trustworthy fellow. He continued singing his query and at once began introducing me to some of the people in his neighborhood. There was a postman, a milkman, and a policeman. 
They each told a little about their fascinating and wholly satisfying professions. And my friend Bob told me these were some of the people I would meet each day. It made it seem to me that life was full of interesting, contented people and utterly worth the living. Switch it to seven. My sister had arrived. I'm watching Sesame Street. Yeah, but Dark Shadows is on seven. I don't want to watch any dumb old soap opera. It's not a soap opera. It's about this vampire named Barnabas Collins. Is there kissing? Only when he bites his victim's necks. Sounds like a bloody soap opera. Just switch the channel. No, now go away. I'll tell Mom you said a bad word. I flushed. I was terrified of this. Whenever I got caught saying a bad word, Mother washed my mouth out with soap. I hated that worse than just about anything else in the world. I did not! I protested furiously. My sister was cool. She knew something then that it took me nearly 25 years to learn. The best way to make someone angry in an argument is to stay cool when they're not. Yes, you did, she said in an annoyingly calm voice. Did not! She smiled and nodded at me. What? What bad word did I say? The B one. I didn't call you that. I had thought it, but I'd never dreamt of saying it. Not that B word. The other one. What other one? I knew only one bad word beginning with the letter B. Sesame Street didn't teach me many of those. The one you just said when you were talking about my show. My sister had a triumphant nasal sound in her voice that made me furious. I didn't say a bad word. I just said it sounded like a blood. Don't say it again, for goodness sake. But that's not a bad word. Oh, yes, it is. It is in England. I was becoming a bit frightened now. Had I actually committed an indiscretion without knowing it? How do you know? Don't you remember My Fair Lady? This was one of the couple of movies I had ever seen. My parents had loaded us all in the car and taken us to see it because, as Dad had told us, it was finally time to see something fairly adult for a change. It mostly bored me, but I loved it when Professor Higgins yelled. What about it? Remember at the horse race when Eliza gets all excited and she's yelling at her horse Dover? The scene came back to me with frightening clarity. Eliza, in the midst of a crowd of terribly prim and proper people, had yelled out, Go, Dover, go! Move your bloody ass! A lady in an enormous, gaudy hat had passed out, and others had commented that they would never think of using such a word. I feigned innocence. What about it? My sister could see the color gone from my face. You know very well what about it. You just said just about the dirtiest word in the whole country of England. And if you don't switch it to seven, 
I'm telling mom and dad. But I didn't mean mom, yelled my sister. I went cold inside. I suddenly felt the horrid taste of soap all foamed up on my tongue. Wait, I said in a desperate voice. Are you going to switch it? It's not fair, though. I had the TV first, and I... Mom! Shelley yelled even more loudly this time. Oh, all right, you... Anything that came out of my mouth now would certainly be used against me in a court of mom. I flipped the channel silently. Shelley settled down to watch Barnabas Collins seduce a young woman who had an English accent. She was wearing a nightgown that looked uncomfortably like the ones my mother used to wear. She stared straight ahead, obviously hypnotized. Barnabas approached. What's going on in here? My mother's voice came from behind me and nearly sent me to the ceiling. Nothing, said Shelley. Nothing would ruffle that girl's feathers. Well, who was screaming across the house for me? My mother held a plastic spatula in her hand and began drying it with a yellow dish towel. I looked helplessly at Shelley. Fred just wanted to know what we're having for dinner. Well, if you want to know, why don't you come in the kitchen and ask for yourself? Sorry, Mom. I, w I will next time. What are we having? asked Shelley. Roast with pizza sauce. Oh, she said without taking her eyes off the show. Isn't that the roast that looks sort of, you know, bloody? No, said Mom, completely ignoring my sister's incredible sin. It's the kind that looks like roast with pizza sauce on it. My jaw dropped open. You! I looked clearingly at my sister, who was looking contentedly at the TV set. She! I said to Mom, who continued drying the spatula she held in the dish towel. Dinner's at 5.30. Make sure you wash your hands before you come to the table. She left the room. My sister utterly ignored my existence. Turn it back, I yelled. I don't have to. You willingly switched to my program, and so now the TV's mine. But you lied. I most certainly did not. You said that blah, the B word was a bad word in England. It is, but we live in America. My sister smiled briefly at me and then turned back and watched Barnabas bite the girl in my mother's nightgown. Barnabas looked up, blood dripping lightly from his fangs and lips, and now he smiled at me too. I ran crying from the room. A light rain softly pelted the kitchen window out of which I stood staring silently. I watched individual drops race each other down the pane and secretly bet with myself about the outcomes of the different competitions. I invariably won, probably because I would change my bet just before the outcome of a race I saw my drop would lose. What time are Jim and Larry coming? Mom asked 
pulling the roast from the oven. She took off her protective mittens after she set the pan on the hot pad on the counter. They said they'd be here about seven, said Dad. He sat at the kitchen table reading the paper and drinking a glass of beer. Do we have enough beer for everyone? I'm sure, Mom replied. Where's Shelly? I don't know. Fred, go find your sister and tell her your mother wants her. I walked to the living room. Shelly! I shouted. I could have done that, said Mom. Please do not shout in this house. Go and find her. I walked across the living room and toward the bedrooms, and I overheard my mother's voice. Do you think Larry's going to be all right? What do you want? said Shelley, not looking up from the Barbie doll whose hair she was combing with a tiny comb. Mom wants you. What does she want? I don't know. We'll go ask her. You go ask her. I'm not your slave. She stopped and looked up at me. Please, for your own sweet sister who loves you? What'll you do for me? Can't you just do it because I asked you to? I considered a moment and then, quietly, I said, Will you let me watch Sesame Street? Hmm, she said, and started combing Barbie's hair again. Okay. Promise? Promise. Cross your heart and hope to die? She crossed her heart. Stick a needle in your eye? Are you going to ask her or what? I went back to the kitchen. As I crossed the living room, I heard Dad's voice. Don't really think he's dangerous. I walked in and stopped in front of Mom, who was emptying the pan of rice into a big bowl. Where's your sister? She said, what do you want? What the hell does she mean, what do you want? said Father, putting his beer down. Your mother wants her here right now. That's what she wants. I'll tell her. I walked back to Shelley's room triumphantly. I was going to get Sesame Street, and she was going to get in trouble. There was a God. Just don't let him drink so terrible much. Mother's voice trailed off as I returned to Shelley's room. When the yelling was finished and my sister had set the table, Mom called us for dinner, which we ate quietly. Mother didn't even ask me to finish my peas and excused me from the table without looking at my plate. When the guests arrived, I was intent on staying up and watching the card game or even talking with my mother and the rest of the wives who were to congregate in the living room while my father and the men played poker in the kitchen. I knew most of the guests already. My Uncle Melvin arrived in his t-shirt, overalls, and John Deere baseball cap and came to me immediately. How's Fred? He asked, stretching out his enormous arms to lift me onto his fat lap. I'm fine, Uncle Melvin, I told him. I struggled slightly but he was altogether too strong for me to escape his grasp, and I was afraid any real fight might cause him to strengthen his grip around my waist. You still gonna be a lawyer? Yes, sir, 
I said. I'm going to make them let us teach Lucian in school. He leaned closer to me. What's that? He asked. You know, I said, convinced that he did, in fact, understand. About the, the monkeys and all that stuff. Oh, ho, ho, ho. evolution, he said, pronouncing it with a long E. Your daddy been teaching you that your great-grandpa was a monkey? No, but there's this movie and this guy named Darren. That's Darwin, kid, said a voice I'd never heard before. Charles Darwin. I looked to the front door. A strange man with long, stringy black hair stood there behind my Aunt Bessie with his arms wrapped around her waist. He started biting her neck lightly. Larry, she said, not in front of the child, please. He sailed to the Galapagos Islands on the SS Beagle and he found out that we all descended from the apes. Melvin sat me down. If you believe all that manure, he said, standing up and facing Larry. Hey, baby, he said, in what my mother would have called a smart aleck tone if I had used it. You gotta liberate yourself from all those old-fashioned ideas. It's 1969, man. Wake up and smell the intellectual coffee. God is dead. Or haven't you heard of Jean-Paul Sartre? It was Frederick Nietzsche, I heard my Uncle Jim say, walking into the living room from the kitchen with my father. And I don't think he meant what you do by it. And just what do you think I mean? Bessie, said Mom from the kitchen doorway. How are you? She set a tray of coffee down on the coffee table and walked to my aunt. Bessie pulled away from Larry and the sisters embraced. I'm just fine, she said. Don't you just love my new sunglasses? How come you're wearing sunglasses when it's nighttime? I asked. Bessie smiled politely but annoyedly at me. Then she turned to Mom. Larry and I are going to move to Wyoming, you know. Well, how wonderful for you. And what will you do there? We're going to escape from all this middle-class bourgeois crap and go live like Thoreau did at Waldorf Pond, said Larry. My Uncle Jim said, that's Walt, well, but my father put his hand on his shoulder and silenced him. What? asked Larry. Did the big famous painter of sophisized landscapes full of charming little waterfalls and cute little seagulls flying over the puffy white clouds have an intellectual remark to make? Oh, Larry, sighed Aunt Bessie. Not tonight, please. He turned and snapped at her. No woman's going to tell me what to do, he said. Larry, said my father firmly, but politely. How about you cut the crap and let's play cards, okay? He turned and looked at my father. The heat in his eyes sent a chill through my spine, and I was afraid he'd hit Dad. Larry walked a couple of steps toward him. Dad didn't move, nor did he change the calm, placid expression on his face. You're right, man. I'm sorry. 
He pronounced it, Sorry. This isn't necessary. We're all adults here, right? He smiled. I'm just joking around, guys. No reason to come unglued here, right? He started walking into the kitchen. Got a beer, Al? He asked. The men left the room, and I was left alone with Mom and Aunt Bessie. For two or three interminable moments, there was silence. Finally, Mother spoke. Looks like it's really going to come down tonight, doesn't it? Yes, said Aunt Bessie, staring at the white coffee mugs, out of which the slightest bit of steam was still rising. It's going to be a real doozy tonight. She removed her sunglasses and began to rub her eyes and the bridge of her nose. When she moved her hands away, I saw that her left eye was black. How did you get a black eye? Fred, my mother said, I think it's time for you to go to bed. Nuh-uh. Yes, she said, it certainly is. You may go in your room and have 30 minutes of quiet time if you'd like, and then you come out and say good night to everyone and go to bed. I whined for a few minutes, but I could see Mother was getting angry. And since tomorrow was Saturday, and I didn't want her to forbid me to watch Johnny Quest as a punishment for arguing with her, I gave in and went to bed. It was dark, and I could feel that it was very late when I woke up suddenly. I didn't know what had caused me to wake up, but when the lightning from outside lit up the room for a split second and the thunder crashed almost immediately afterward, I guessed. I laid nervously in bed and listened. Just sneaking into the room beneath the pouring rain came strange organ music and the evil laugh of Vincent Price. I pulled my teddy bear out from beneath the bed. He always began the evening tucked neatly under my arm and ended it in the same position between the wall and the headboard and listened more carefully. It's okay, Teddy, I whispered to him. It's just a spook watching her dumb old scary movies again. The room lit up again, and the sound of the TV stopped. How come there's no light? He asked me in my best baby voice. I reached for the light over my bed and turned the knob. The room remained dark. I played with it a few times and nothing happened. The lightning must have knocked out the electricity. Listen really close now and see what else you hear. Where's Patootie's? He asked me. I'll find him, I told him reassuringly. I groped around underneath the bed until I felt the string that the little clown had attached to his right hip and began to pull him up. He got his head caught between the wall and the bed and the string came toward me but the doll stayed put. I let go of the string and as it retracted the doll said, I'm Petudis, what's your name? And began to laugh wildly in his pre-recorded voice. 
until we told you to stop it, Teddy told me. Stop it, I shouted at Patootie. I grabbed him around the waist and forced him up to the bed. After I'd pushed his plastic head back into shape, I spanked him. Now, no more scaring Teddy, I told him. And anyway, I whispered, we have to be quiet or we'll wake up John and he'll be all grumpy. I'm sorry, he said in a voice only slightly different from Teddy. Do you hear anything else? I asked Teddy. Something clinking, he said. I listened and realized he was right. Those are poker chips, I told him. Where is John? Asked Patooties. I looked across the room and through the darkness I could see that John's bed was still made and empty. I don't know. I said, trying very hard not to let my kids know, I was scared without him. Can we go see Grandma? Whined Teddy. You know we're too big to go in her bed now. The lightning struck again, lighting the room once more, and we were out of bed and at the door before it was dark again. I snuck quietly down the hall. Teddy tucked under one arm. I held Patooties by the head with the other hand. I got to the living room and saw a shape, which I took to be my aunt, slumped over on the couch. I watched the shape for a few minutes until it moved slightly, and then I continued down the hall toward Mom and Dad's room. I got to the door and opened it just slightly. I heard whimpering coming from the bed. Well, what do you have to watch scary movies like that for anyway? I heard Mother ask soothingly. It's fun, I heard my sister say through her frightened tears. But you always get too scared. Well, when the lights went out, I thought... I know, Shelley. There was silence for a few minutes and then... You just lay here, sweetie. Mama's here. I shut the door silently and whispered, See, Teddy? Shelly's scared, too. Shelly's a big, wet booger, came my familiar Teddy voice. Let's go see what the men are doing. We crept the rest of the way down the hall and stood next to the kitchen. There was a flashlight hanging above the table, tied to the regular kitchen light. It still swung lazily, and the faces of the men were alternating from shadows to light. Kick a butt, said Larry. What do you got, said Melvin. Cost you a buck to find out, farmer. Melvin stared at Larry. Larry's face in the shadow was dark and treacherous looking, at least to me. I looked at Uncle Melvin. He still looked enormous to me, even sitting down, and I knew he wasn't afraid of anything. He stared at Larry a few seconds more. Larry seemed so tiny, like a mean little dog looking up at a quiet bear. Melvin wasn't afraid. Fold! Uncle Melvin threw his cards down 
and got up and walked to the refrigerator. How in the hell am I supposed to find any beer in the dark? It's there, Melvin. I heard Father's voice, but couldn't see him from where I was kneeling by the door. Just grope around long enough, you'll find it. Jim? said Larry. I'm out, he said quietly. Al? Larry's voice sounded a bit cocky to me, and I wasn't accustomed to hearing my father addressed in that tone. There was a long pause. Oh, for Christ's sake, Al. He's had a king up since the first card, and he's raised a dollar on every card. He's got a pair of kings. You got nothing but a queen showing. You're not going to bluff him out with a raise or something. Just get out. There was another pause, and then I heard my brother's voice quietly. What are you going to do? Call, said my father. I saw a poker chip fly into the light, and I heard the same clinking we'd heard from the bedroom. The light had steadied itself by now, and Larry's clearly lit face lost some color. He flipped up his remaining card and said, How'd you know? Never fold when you can beat what's showing, son, I heard Dad say, apparently to John. I heard the poker chips clinking noisily as Father's hands came into view, and he pulled the pile out of sight. The room was suddenly flooded with light, and I saw Larry's cold, drunk eyes staring into mine. I turned and ran down the hall, and I heard Larry laughing from the kitchen. I got into my room and shut the door silently and climbed into bed. When the door opened a few seconds later, I laid perfectly still. My eyes were shut tight. I heard footsteps on my carpet and felt the bed move as someone sat on it. I felt the familiar touch of my father's large, slightly calloused hand on my forehead. Do you remember to kill a mockingbird? I didn't move. He's just like Bob Ewell, Fred. Do you remember the drunk guy who was yelling and staggering around and threatening everybody all the time? I still didn't move. He's just like what Atticus said. He's all bluff, Fred. Don't be afraid of him. He pulled Patootie's head out of my hand and gently set the doll on my shoulder. Tell your friends they don't have to be afraid. He leaned over and kissed my forehead. He got up and quietly left the room. Grandpa's here, I whispered to Teddy. Grandpa will take care of me, and I'll take care of you. I kissed each of my frightened friends and went to sleep. The morning broke, as I knew it would, with birds singing happily outside my window and the smell of bacon and sausage drifting into my room from the kitchen. I got up and ran to the living room. My Aunt Bessie was no longer on the couch, and my sister was in front of the TV set watching the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show like she did every Saturday morning since I could remember. Johnny Quest is on at 8.30, I told her. So what? She said. She was still mad at me for getting her in trouble, 
and I didn't see any point in arguing yet, so I went into the kitchen for breakfast. Good morning, Fritzel, said my mother. She faced the stove with a metal spatula in her hand. She wore her familiar brown apron, a blue sweatshirt, and a pair of jeans. I went and hugged her, and she smelled of talcum powder. With her free mittened hand, she embraced me and flipped several sausages with the other. Did the storm scare you? She asked. No, you know I'm too big to be frightened of a stupid old storm. You're going to be seven pretty soon, aren't you? Pretty soon. When's breakfast? Pretty soon, she said. Are you hungry? Yes. Then go wash up and get ready. And go and see if your brother is ready yet. He's probably still sleeping. He was up pretty late last night. Oh, really? said Mother knowingly. And how do you know that? Um... Teddy said he woke up last night and John wasn't there, so he must have been up late. Were Teddy and Patootie scared of the storm? Yes, but I wasn't. I made them feel better. Good for you. Now, go find out if your brother wants any breakfast. The slippers attached to my pajamas scraped across the tile floor of the kitchen, and I went to see John. As I walked through the living room, I told my sister without looking at her, I'm watching Johnny Quest in ten minutes. She pretended not to hear me and laughed as the coyote fell off yet another cliff. I went into our bedroom and walked over to John's bed. I lightly put a hand on his shoulder. John? John, Mom wants to know if you're having breakfast. John grumbled something I took to be a negative response, and I left the room. I ignored Shelley as I passed through the living room again and went to the kitchen. John's not going to have breakfast with us this morning. Mother put a paper towel on a serving plate and started scooping sausages onto it. He's not. No. May I please eat in the living room this morning so I can watch Johnny Quest? Do you promise to be your very most careful? Yes. Well then, you go sit down and I'll bring it out to you in a minute. Take a paper towel with you. I took a paper towel and went and sat next to my sister in front of the television. Shelly? Yes? May we please watch Johnny Quest now? No, the banana splits are coming on next. Yeah, but that's an hour show, and the Three Musketeers part doesn't start until nine, and Johnny Quest will be over by then. I like the whole show. My mother came into the living room carrying two plates full of food and two sets of silverware. She set one down in front of each of us. Mommy, didn't you say I could sit in here and watch Johnny Quest? Oh, are we arguing again? But you said... Shelley, why don't we let Fred watch his show this time, okay? And then next time you can watch yours. She sighed slightly disgustedly. Okay, Mom. We'll let the baby have his way. 
Thank you for cooperating. We really like cooperation around here, man. My mother looked at me expectantly. What do you say, Fred? Thank you, Shelley, I said in my best imitation of sarcasm. I'll bring you some milk in a minute. She walked back to the kitchen. I got up and flipped the channel to Johnny Quest. A second or so later, we heard the phone ringing from the kitchen. We heard my mother say, Hello. And my sister got up and changed the station back to the banana splits. Hey, I said furiously. Mom said, Mom's on the phone right now, and you know you're not allowed to disturb her when she's on the phone. Oh, my God. But she said, I continued to whine, Don't be such a baby. We'll just watch the first part, and then we'll turn back to your stupid old Johnny Quest. Al, there was a certain urgency in my mother's voice, but I was too busy arguing with my sister to pay attention to it. It's not fair. I'm bigger than you, I'm stronger than you, and I'm smarter than you, and what I say is fair is fair, and if you don't like it, you can just lump it. Lump this, you bald-headed winger, I said. I picked up my scrambled eggs with my hand and squished them into her long blonde hair. I got up instantly and ran for the front door while my sister began to cry, a stunned cry, and try to remove the egg from her hair. Her delay gave me a good eight or ten seconds head start, and I knew she wouldn't tell Mom until she'd pounded the crap out of me for my insolence. And if she tried to beat me up, she'd be in as much trouble as I was. The key to getting away with all this seemed to me to be simply to hide long enough to avoid getting beat up and accomplish the all-important objective of worrying Mom. If Mom thought Shelley had scared me enough to make me hide from her, it would certainly spell doom for her. And if I came in crying, there was an even an outside chance I'd get off scot-free. When I stepped into the sunlight, I looked for a place to hide. I ran to our ancient green Tempest station wagon and hid in the very back. I closed the door and waited. For nearly two minutes there was no sound from the house at all, and I wondered what was taking Shelley so long to come out and look for me. It was then that it occurred to me that Shelley might have decided just to go tell Mom and Dad on me, in which case my punishment would be severe and she'd get away with her crime scot-free. Just as I was beginning to plan a strategy for pushing my sister off of the coyote's cliff, I heard the doors swing open, and for a moment, I relaxed. But only for a moment. I'll be back as soon as I can. It was my father's voice, and he sounded furious. His footsteps headed straight for the car. I was sweating in anticipation wasn't the punishment that frightened me. It was not knowing what the punishment was going to be and when it would happen that scared me. I was afraid of what I didn't know. I heard the driver's door open and I was about to jump up and confess and throw myself on my father's mercy when the door slammed and the car started. We backed more hurriedly out of the driveway than we ever had before and headed off down the street at a pretty good rate of speed. We drove for about 10 minutes, and all the time, 
I laid in the back with my head down so I could avoid being seen. When the car stopped, I heard the sound of running boots, and a second later, I heard my Uncle Melvin's voice. He's going right the plum, right the hell out of his mind now. He's just crazy, that's all. He's just plain crazy. Where is he? There was a pause, during which time I presume my uncle pointed. Bess and the kids are in the house, scared right the hell out of their minds. I see him. Dad sounded bored and disgusted. He got out of the car. I heard his feet going across the pavement. I heard him step onto the sidewalk. When I heard him walk across the grass, I put my head up so I could peek out the bottom of the window without being seen. When I saw Larry, my heart stopped for a moment. Larry stood near a tree in the corner of the house nearest the bedroom window. He wore a tank top, jeans, and an old pair of thongs. He was sweaty and unclean. He had his left hand in his pocket. In his right hand, Larry held a gun. Larry. I heard Dad say, What the hell are you doing? Larry gave Father his firing look. He began to raise his hand. How about you just cut the crap and give me the gun, Larry? We don't need this this morning. My father never stopped walking, but he never ran, nor did he hurry. She's a bitch, Al, he said when Dad stood next to him. Yeah, Larry, you're right. Bessie can be a real bitch sometimes. There was a silence. As I watched Dad standing there, though, I wasn't afraid anymore. Larry wasn't going to use that gun. You're not going to use that gun, Larry. Dad reached softly down and took it out of his hand gently. Now why don't you go on home, Larry? We were going to Wyoming, he mumbled. There was no response. Larry sighed. <sighs> Shit. He walked off across the yard. I was sitting all the way up now and watched him walk quietly down the road, alone. Way to go, Al, said Melvin. You gotta have nerves of steel. Ah, bull, Melvin. Larry wasn't gonna use that thing. I sure as hell didn't want to take it away. Dad got back in the car. Goodbye, Melvin. He closed the door and put the car in reverse. His eyes met mine in the rearview mirror. The car screeched to a halt and Dad turned around. What in the hell are you doing here? I was afraid again. Computer, Commander Montgomery Scott, Chief Engineering Officer. Destruct Sequence 2, Code 1, 1A, 2B. 
Computer, this is Commander Pavel Chekhov, acting science officer. Destruct sequence 3. Code 1B. 2B. 3. Destruct sequence completed and engaged. Awaiting final code for one minute countdown. Code zero, zero, zero. Destruct zero. Destruct sequence is activated. Do you know, when you have a dog, and the time comes, you have to wonder what is more cruel letting them suffer, or putting them down. Let them go. It's an impossible choice, that many people don't even have. Take it from. All dogs go in their time. Many, die in our arms. Looking at us with a kind of understanding. But a terrifying realization. When they know it's their time to go. The hardest thing to do is to. Let them. If you want this show in your life. If you don't want it to go away. You need to tell me. For now. This is goodbye. Here. I can't move you. <laughs> Just go. <laughs> go back to your okay. I'm a broken man. You got no business spending time with me here. I'll go back to my place. You go back to yours. Get. Yeah.
See you on the other side.